Getting in the presence of God is what feeds your boldness. Do you see it there in verse 13? These people had been with Jesus. Boldness is simply a side effect of being in the presence of Jesus. But do you know that that is never going to happen publicly unless you prioritize spending time alone with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm so glad that you joined us here today. The Apostle Peter may well have been one of the boldest of Jesus' disciples. And last week, Pastor Trent brought us through Acts chapter 4 and showed us how Peter's boldness for Christ was most powerful when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, today we'll continue part two of the message, God's Channels for Distribution, in the series called Be Bold, and we'll learn how we can most effectively spread the gospel. So let's open our Bibles back to Acts chapter 4 for the conclusion of the message. Here's Pastor Trent. Do you understand that God, who exists outside of time and space, has been so gracious that he has given one way for you to be saved from your sin. It is the only way to escape the terminal illness that you have, which will result in you being separated from God if you do not believe in the one way God has given for you to be saved, there is no other name. There is no other way to be made right with God. Muhammad is not a name God has given for you to be saved. Buddha is not a name God has given for you to be saved. Hare Krishna is not a name that God has given. Pope Francis is not a name that God has given for you to be saved. Hillary is not a name God has given for you to be saved. And God knows Trump is not a name that God has given for you to be saved. Trent is not a name. Harvest Bible Chapel is not a name. Catholicism, Baptist, Methodist, none of it is a name. There is one way and one way exclusively for you to come into relationship with God the Father. Is, does that shock you? God... God has only given one, one way. One way for young people, one way for old people, one way for Americans, one way for Russians, one way for Africans, one way for those in India, one, one way for those in China. There's only one name that God has given. Does that upset you? Does that shock you? Well, why hasn't God given more, more ways? And I think, God, I think God should be given lots of different ways. And I think, I think there's lots of different ways that God would get. There's only one way. And it should not shock you that there is only one name by which you can be saved. It should shock you that there is any name that God has given by which you can be and must be saved. We have declared war on God as rebels against him, setting ourselves up as our own God. And this loving, gracious God has 
opened a way for rebels like you and me to come into right relationship, to be forgiven, to experience the joy of heaven and the power of salvation and to live with him forever. What a gracious God. Don't manufacture other ways. There's only one. You're not a manufacturer. You are simply a distributor of only one name. And that name is? Jesus Christ, the one name that God has given by which we must be saved. I talked to a lady last night in the service and she came up afterwards and, and she said, I've, I've been in church all my life. I know scripture. I started to quote scripture with me. She, she finished the verse. And yet her question to me is, I just don't know. I just don't know if I've crossed the line. I just don't know if I've done enough. And I said, lady, you are trusting in some other name. And I looked at her and I said, what's your name? And she told me, and I said, that's the name you're trusting in for your salvation. You're trying to manufacture your own salvation. Give up. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. You'll never go hard enough or fast enough after God that you will ever feel like you crossed the line. The good news of the gospel is this, Jesus crossed the line for you and it is your trust and your faith in what he did, not in what you do, that God will accept as your substitute for sin. You are trusting in some other name, namely religion. Give up your substitute savior and trust in the offer of salvation through the only name by which you can be saved. You say, ah, hey, you're making me really nervous here because I'm an introvert and you're asking me like to distribute this stuff and go talk to people and use the name and be bold. It's like, I don't even like to talk to people about anything. And you're telling me I'm supposed to like go talk to all the introverts, raise your hand. Where are the introverts? Introverts. I'm making you really nervous right now, aren't you? Like you're telling me my job is like to talk and I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough and I, I don't have the education you have and you've got like some kind of Bible degree, don't you? You have to do this and you got to like memorize scripture and you got to know outlines and, and you have to like have apologetics and answers for every objection. I'm just not smart. I just think people would laugh at me if I, I'm just kind of a blue collar guy. I'm just kind of, I, just, I wouldn't know the first thing. People would just reject me. They, they, they would think I would sound so silly. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they laughed their heads off and kicked them out of the temple. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus, do you understand this? It is not education that creates boldness. Boldness is a byproduct of being with Jesus. Getting in the presence of God is what feeds your boldness. Do you see it there in verse 13? These people had been with Jesus. Boldness is simply a side effect of being in the presence of Jesus. So, so here's the thing. I'm encouraging you to go out there and be bold. Be bold, be bold, be bold. 
Be bold with the gospel. Distribute the offer of salvation. But do you know that that is never going to happen publicly unless you prioritize spending time alone with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Has your world been rocked in his presence? If it has, it's going to free you up to do all kinds of bold things that you never expected that you could ever do. It's not your education. It's not your ability. It is simply your love for Jesus that feeds the boldness and makes you a distributor of the offer of salvation. Here's the second thing. Be bold enough to show the changes that you've experienced. Look here in verse 14. But seeing the man... Underline the word seeing. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Mark it down. They won't be convinced by what you say. They will be convinced by what they see. Be bold enough to show the changes that you've experienced. You were a lame man that God has changed, who has strengthened, who has stood. You're a person that used to have stinky attitudes. You're a person that used to have fights and struggles and bitterness and rage in your heart toward other people. And God has changed that. By the way, maybe I'm assuming a little too much here. Has he changed you? How can we expect to go out and offer salvation to people, this life-altering experience with God, if when they look at our lives, we're not any different than them? There should be a regular occurrence of people looking at you and saying, you're weird. You've been married to the same woman for decades. Your kids, you love them even though they are a mess? You forgive people that hurt you? You pay your bills on time? You don't steal stuff? And in the weak moments when you did steal stuff, you took it back and asked forgiveness? That's weird. It's not in what you say, it's in what, you see, what they see that will make your boldness believable to a world. Be bold enough to show the changes that you've experienced. Again, look at verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? They don't know what to do with us. For that a noble a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. Listen, the evidence of a changed life cannot be denied. That's what makes us bold. That's what makes our boldness even believable. Now listen, I realize the things that I'm challenging you to do are, are some things that... It, He's like, I want to do this. I just don't know how. I need some practical handles. How do you actually get in a conversation around the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel news, there's something wrong with this world. As Christians, we know what it is. 
We have rebelled against God. We are living under the curse of our sin. That's why there's war. That's why there's hunger. That's why there's natural disaster in the world. That's why there's all kinds of dysfunction in this world because we have kicked God off the throne and we're trying to do it without him. And the good news is this, that God loves us in spite of ourselves. He has sent Jesus into the world and we even rejected him. We hung him on our cross because of our sin. He came off the cross, was put in a grave. God raised him from the dead to overcome the disease of death and sin, and all those who repent and believe can be saved. That's what's wrong with the world, and that's the only way that you're going to survive it. Would you like to accept Jesus right now? (laughs) There's a thousand ways to have that conversation, but you've got to be equipped. He said, man, I just wish I'd known more Bible. I wish I could have just said a verse, and like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 be a great place to start, and all those different... Listen, there's a way that we can kind of give ourselves some arsenal when those moments arise. So be bold enough to show the changes that you've made. Here's the third thing. Be bold enough to speak what you have seen and heard. Be bold enough to speak what you've seen and heard. Look at verse 17. These guys are really upset. They do not like the gospel going out. So verse 17 says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That's our plan. We'll tell them, stop. That'll fix it. And if they don't stop, we'll do bad things to them. So this is their plan. Verse 18, so they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so you can see it there in verse 19. Peter and John answered them, oh, sorry, we didn't mean to upset anybody. We, we realized we were creating a hostile work environment for some. And boy, we really feel bad. We'll never do that again. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, that's not what my Bible says either. You got to watch me on this thing. I'm trying to keep you sharp, okay? Well, what did they do? You see, if they had looked at them and said, oh, okay, we realize it's, it's now illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to spread the gospel. If they had looked at those men and said, okay, we'll stop, we wouldn't be here today. Do you understand that? The Bible would have ended in Acts chapter 4, and there would be no churches, there would be no gospel, and there would be no people in heaven. Do you understand what's at stake in distributing the gospel? That without the distribution of the gospel, no one can believe upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved? And so they had a little turmoil going on in their lives. They were realizing, okay, we're either going to have to obey God or we're going to have to obey, obey man. That's why they said in verse 19, Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right, underline the word right, In verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have seen a dead man walking. It's undeniable to us. We have heard the good news that he's the promised Messiah, that if we would trust in him, our sins would be forgiven. We get a fresh start and a new beginning. No matter what we've done, we can live with God forever. We have seen it and we have heard it and we cannot help but speak it. 
You know what they were saying? What you are asking us to do is a physical impossibility. It's like, okay. No, I just got to tell you, God is so good. His grace, I'm sorry. No, Jesus on the cross in my place as a substitute. Heaven is so good. It's going to be so good. The kingdom of God. It's an impossibility for people who have seen and heard the message not to distribute it. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to market it. We just have to distribute it. And if you are a Christian, you will distribute the gospel. It's always the right thing. If you've ever wondered, is it right in this scenario to actually speak the name of Jesus? It's always the right thing to speak the name. Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, good luck, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. What were the people doing? Look at it. Verse 21. They were all praising God for what had happened happened. Do you get that? Listen, the end game of boldness is not evangelism. Do you hear me? The end game of, evangel- the end game of boldness is not building a big church. The end game of evangelism is not rescuing people from hell as wonderful and as necessary as that is. That's not the end game. The end game of boldness is praise. Every soul who has yet to believe, the tragedy is not that they are going to hell, as much of a tragedy as that is. The biggest tragedy is that is a soul that is robbing God of the praise he is worthy of. The end game of boldness is worship. And so we use boldness to step into places where praise is absent. Boldness must exist where praise does not. We step into the vacuum of praise and we insert the gospel boldly because we want that place to erupt with praise, namely into the heart of an unbeliever. And when that person responds in repentance and faith to the gospel, it gives God glory, it gives God honor, all glory, all honor, all wisdom, our praise. It is all deserving of God's worship. And so, we speak boldly. Here's the last thing. Be bold enough to ask God for help. Do you understand how hard this is? This is a really hard thing. So notice what happened in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. Praise God for friends. Do you have some friends? Do you have some friends that do this along with you? Listen, um, boldness cannot exist. It cannot bear the weight of threats when it is not bolstered by an uncommon community of boldness itself. And so it's our friends, it's the squad that we run to 
when we have been threatened and when we have been intimidated and when we have been beaten up and when we are discouraged, we run to our friends just like they did in verse 23 and they say, I need some help. And look at what they did. It says, they reported, to the, we, they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them, verse 24, and when they heard it, they knew immediately what to do. What did they do? They lifted up their voices together to God. They began to pray and notice what it says they prayed. They said, God, would you please kill all of these evil rulers? God, would you please make it easier for us? God, would you please remove the persecution? God, would you please restore the religious freedom that we once enjoyed in our country? Is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says either. That's not what they prayed. They didn't pray for freedom. They prayed for boldness. Stop praying for freedom. God never promised you freedom. God tells us that we're always going to be the minority. We're the remnant. And so what we need to distribute the gospel is not freedom. We need boldness when there is no freedom. Notice the first word of their prayer. What is it? Sovereign. You know what that word means? God is in control. When you've been threatened, when you feel like you have adversity, the first place you have to fill your, the first thing you have to fill your mind with is thoughts of God's sovereignty. And that's exactly what they did. They said, sovereign Lord, and they went further who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. They said, we can trust the God of creation. Did you know that boldness is sabotaged by every theory of origins that diminishes God's role in creation? Some of you can't be bold because you don't even believe the first two pages of your Bible. You believe that your ancestors lived in a little primordial soup and you were this little amoeba and then they had babies and lightning zapped them and it accelerated everything and there were these billions and billions and billions of years. You don't even believe God is sovereign over creation and yet somehow you're going to go out and represent him and his offer of salvation? These people said, God, we just want to remember you're in control. You are the creator of heaven and earth and the sea. And you're the creator of all these people that we're going out there to talk to. You love them even more than we do. God, you are creator. We can trust the God of creation. Then he goes on in verse 25. Who, through the mouth, underline that, through the mouth, through the mouth. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. A couple things to notice here. First of all, it is the Holy Spirit that's inspired scripture. He's getting ready to quote for us Psalm chapter 2. And he says the author of that kind of a double-edged sword. Humanly speaking, David was the author. God used David's mouth. But who spoke through David's mouth? The Holy Spirit. Do you understand? They understood they could trust the God of revelation. That this God who exists outside of human history, outside of time and space, has spoken into where we live and he has used the mouth of a human being to speak transcendent truth. God wants to speak through your mouth too to distribute the message. Through the mouth of David, what did David say? Verse 25, he's quoting Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? 
and the people's plot in vain. He's just kind of unpacking human history here. There's always been Gentiles raging, enemies of God that think they can figure it out on their own. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. There's always been opposition to the gospel. And so you know what? They understood this was not anything different than has ever happened in human history. God is sovereign. They can trust the God of history. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, those were the guys that kind of humanly speaking were responsible for hanging Jesus on the cross, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Man, they knew God was in control. God had a plan. God hasn't changed his plan, and God's plan would never fail. Do you understand that as evangelists, we believe that as we distribute the gospel, God is responsible for the results? God has promised he's at work. His spirit is still moving. His plan is still in effect. His plan involves us. He wants to speak through our mouths as well. Verse 29, and now, Lord... Look upon their threats. I love that. It's like, hey, God, do you see what they're doing to us? God, as long as we know you're looking at their threats, we're not gonna. We're not gonna take our eye off the ball of distribution. We'll let you look at their threats. We're gonna keep our eye on the ball. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed in the place in which they gathered, it was together shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. They knew that God was in control and they knew that God was still on the job. God shook the place where they were. I think it was just kind of a loving act of God to say, hey guys, I hear you. I'm up here. Um, I'm not taking a day off. I am on it. I wonder as we conclude the service today, if we might be so bold as to pray the way they prayed, would you be willing to pray that God would shake you and fill you and embolden you? Some of us need to be shaken out of our complacency, out of our comfort zone, out of our religion, And understand, we haven't been good distributors. God, would you shake me? And then God, would you fill me like Peter? I do not want to go out into this world to try to do my job without you doing it through me. Today we've been challenged to pray as Peter and John did in the book of Acts in asking God to shake, fill, and embolden us as we share the gospel. Pastor Trent said it best when he said, the end game of boldness is praise. As we step into the vacuum of praise, 
we give unbelievers an opportunity to respond in faith to the gospel, resulting in praise, honor, and glory to our God. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm so glad that you've been with us today. And I hope you'll join us again next week as Pastor Trent gives us practical help as we share the gospel boldly with a message called Openings for the Gospel. Until then, I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.